SAFM Sports Wrap. Good evening to you. Welcome to SAFM Sports Wrap. I'm Brad Brown. We'll be heading to Wimbledon to get ladies' quarterfinal results in a moment. We'll also chat to Vera Powell on tonight's show. And we'll also head to the Tour de France to get the latest from Team Dimension Data doing some incredible things this weekend. But big football news. Jose Mourinho held his first press conference at Old Trafford today as manager of Manchester United. The former Chelsea boss says he's looking forward to his role with the Red Devils. This challenge... Obviously, it doesn't make me nervous because my 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 East ten ten years or more was always to live with um, big clubs' expectations, and I think it comes in the right moment of my career where I feel obviously very well prepared, very stable, and um, with a great motivation. Manchester United legend and former assistant coach Ryan Giggs left the club last week following the announcement that Mourinho was taking over the reins. Mourinho says Giggs' decision to leave had nothing to do with his actions. And about Ryan, let me f- finish with it because I want to make it clear. I never run away about my responsibilities. But the reality is that it's not my responsibility that Ryan is not in the club. Um, the job Ryan wanted is the job that the club decided to give me. It's not my fault. Ryan wanted to be Man United manager. And the club, for the reasons that only the club, the owners, Mr. Woodward, the boards, they can tell you, they decide that the job was for me. From this moment, Ryan wants to be a manager. Like 14 years ago or... I don't know when it was, 2000, and 2000, so 16 years ago, I decided myself I want to be a manager. For many of us, coaches, we start as assistant coaches, and for many of us arrives a moment where we make a decision, and Ryan make his decision. So when you were speaking about uh, did I offer him a job, did I, could he be my assistant, could he, be, it could be what he want in the club. The club wanted to give him any job, any important job in the club. He made a decision, a decision where you need to be brave. In other, or in transfer news, domestically, Mamelodi Sundowns have signed Free State Stars midfielder Lucky Mohomi on a three-year deal. In some rugby news, the Bulls have confirmed that Springbok lock Luit Diago will be joining them on a 12-month contract from the 1st of November. Bad news for the Sharks. Patrick Lambie will sit out another week, still with that concussion that he picked up in the first test against Ireland. Cricket South Africa have announced their uh, awards nominees. Proteas Quick Bowler Kahisa Rabada be nominated in five categories, including South African Cricketer of the Year. He, other nominees, Hashim Amla, A.B. de Villiers, Quinton de Kock, and Imran Tahir. Test Cricketer of the Year, Hashim Amla, Temba Bavuma, Kahisa Rabada, uh, ODI Cricketer, Quinton de Kock, as well as A.B. de Villiers and Rabada. T20 International Cricketer of the Year, Hashim Amla, Imran Tahir, and J.P. Dumini. On the ladies' side of things, the Women's Cricketer of the Year, uh, the nominees are Trisha Chetty, Lizelle Lee, as well as Danae van Nikark, Sunfoil Series Cricketer, Haina 
Dino Kun, uh, Tabray Shamsi, and Dwayne Pretorius of the Highfelt Lions. In uh, Tour de France news, I can tell you that Peter Sagan has held on to the yellow jersey after today's fourth stage. A fantastic sprint finish once again. Unfortunately, Dimension Data's Mark Cavendish unable uh, to pick up his third stage win of the Tour. He finished eighth overall in today's stage. But as it stands right now, Marcel Kittel won the stage. Peter Sagan hangs on to that yellow jersey. And uh, he is uh, in third. Alejandro Valverde, Chris Froome uh, in fifth. Roman Crozier in sixth. So all the big names there heading into stage five. Up next, we head to Wimbledon. SAFM Sports Wrap. It was some intriguing tennis uh, in at the All England Club today. It was ladies' quarterfinal day, and uh, the big one that uh, Chris Bowers previewed for us this morning turned out to be the big one. It was uh, a two-setter, but uh, it, it was long, and it was enthralling. Angelique Kerber just too strong for Simona Halep. Chris? Watchable match. I mean, I, I was uh, engrossed in it. I thought... Um, it was uh, fascinating the way Halep just hung in there. But when you look back on it, he, she was always uh, catching up Angelique Kerber. Kerber was uh, strong from the beginning. You know, you think of Kerber as a classic counterpuncher, and she is. But what she was doing so well was uh, taking the pace from Halep and turning it straight into her own attacking game. And whenever Halep seemed to open up the court, uh, Kerber was there uh, to answer with her own angle. A very, very good match to watch. Fantastic indeed. Just looking at the the other three matches as well, as the draw stands right now, we we could possibly see an all-Williams sister final once again with both Venus and Serena both advancing today too. Yes, I mean, no one should be surprised that uh, Serena being just one game away from the final. She looked very good in beating Anastasia Pavlyuchenkova. That was a very good match up to four all in those sets. And then just the pressure of the moment, Pavlyuchenkova's uh, level dropped, Serena's went up, and 6-4, uh, 6-4 six, four, six, four just tells you the story about that one. Venus, I thought, was going to lose to Yaroslava Shvedova, who had the better of the first set, but couldn't take her initiative, uh, couldn't seize, uh, seize the, uh, the initiative, and couldn't make the most of some very, very good play. And once he dropped the first, uh, first set on the tiebreak, Shvedova fell away, and Venus Williams, who I kept expecting to sort of fade away a little bit, not just because she's now 36 years old, but because she has this sort of um, de- debilitating disease, Sjogren's disease. But she seems to be keeping it very much at bay at the moment and uh, came through that match comfortably. And the other one, Elena Vesnina was a surprise winner against Dominika Sibulkova. The one thing about this that worried me slightly was that Sybil Koba seemed very, very unworried by it at the end. And I suppose there may be something to do with it. The fact that she's due to get married on Saturday and would have had to move her wedding had she <laughs> lost, had she reached the women's final. So her wedding can now go ahead as planned. And, um, but she's got her quarterfinalist points. Um, to, do, to add to her ranking. <laughs> that is brilliant. Uh, and there was one uh, men's uh, match that uh, rolled over into today, so the, qu- the men's quarterfinal lineup has uh, been concluded. How did that progress earlier today, Chris? Yeah, that was the all check battle between Thomas Burdish and Yuzhi Vesley. Um, there were two sets all overnight. They finished, the full set went uh, to Vesley in almost darkness. Um, but they came back and they were level up to three games all. Uh, Burdish broke in the eighth game. So he's through to the quarterfinals. He's just phenomenally consistent here at Wimbledon. He's the 10th seed, but uh, just he, he's always there 
or thereabouts. And uh, so he's through. So that completes the men's quarter-final lineup. That will be played tomorrow um, with the main match, uh, Roger Federer starting against Marin Kilic. Fantastic. We're definitely looking forward to the men's quarterfinals. Uh, Chris Bowles, thank you so much for that. So we'll chat again tomorrow. Uh, have yourself a great evening, and we look forward to, to getting all, all the details of how those uh, men's quarters progress. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Brad. This is Sport on SAFM, every supporter's greatest resource. You're listening to South Africa's news and information leader, and what a start to the 2016 Tour de France, particularly for South Africa, or the African team of uh, Dimension Data. And we chatted to them briefly on Friday afternoon uh, before the tour started. It's a great pleasure to welcome Team Principal back on Douglas Ryder. Doug, welcome back. Nice to nice to catch up. When we spoke on on Friday, uh, you said there weren't too many stages that you could target from a sprinter's perspective, so you were going to give Saturday a, a good go, and and boy, did you give it a good go, Mark Cavendish winning the stage, ending up in yellow, the perfect start to, to the tour for, for Team Dimension Data. Yeah, thanks so much. I mean, we did say that we wanted to come in hot and we, you know, knowing if you win the first stage, you you kind of get the yellow jersey and the green jersey. And, you know, when we, we set ourselves some lofty goals and, you know, as you know, we dream big in this team and, and we wanted to win, you know, two stages in the tour, one more than last year, and we wanted to also, you know, wear a leader's jersey like we did last year and kind of did everything on day one and, uh, and day three, which was just incredible. I mean, for Mark to win that stage, it just showed how incredibly committed the team was to the plan, going to the front and, and giving him such a good lead out and, and then him doing the business pretty easily, winning by length and a half on stage one and then... Stage two, we, you know, remember we said we would focus on Edvard Bosenhagen for the outfield finish, and, and unfortunately Edvard crashed quite hard on stage one, and so he was a bit beaten up, but, you know, we also rode on the front on Sunday to defend the yellow jersey, which unfortunately we lost, and, and Mark ended up in the green jersey, and then the next day, the Sunday, he, he goes and has a, dukes it out with Andre Greipel in an outfield finish, and, uh, and beats him by, you know, Tywood. So two stage wins. A yellow and a green jersey that we've worn, it's just, um, it's been a phenomenal start. Yeah, I mean, you, you say you dream big and you, you have lofty goals. If, if I'd said this to you at the, the start of the tour, that by the end of the tour you would have won two stages, you would have worn yellow and you would have worn the green jersey during the tour, what, what would you have said to me? You would have said, I'm sure, let's, let's back up and go home. Mission accomplished. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. I would, say, I would have said to you, yeah, no, I'll absolutely take that, thanks. <laughs> and, uh, and if that was going to happen, yeah, because you, as you know, there's 198 of the best riders in the world and 22 of the best teams. So, you know, everybody's wanting to win a stage. It's the best riders in the world that are here. So, you know, it's, it, to win one stage, it's super hard. A guy from from Eurosport, as she said to me yesterday, he was like, geez, Doug, what you've done in two years, some teams haven't done in 10 years. And I said, I know, we we are riding a fantastic wave at the moment. And I did say, you know, I think it is because the team, you know, does ride for a purpose and has a has a broader objective that, you know, you, that, that, that actually gives us a little bit of edge, I think, in, in terms of that. So... That's so pretty special. And you talk about that broader perspective. I think a lot needs to be said that that it's not you're not just paying lip service. And and I saw that in the the post race interview on Saturday with Mark Cavendish, where he where he mentioned the the Quebec charity and 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 the goals and what you guys are trying to uh, trying to do. And and it just it just adds that that something extra to the team and makes them fight even harder, doesn't it? No, absolutely. I mean, you know, Mark was brought into the team and was attracted to the team because it's. You know, only 50% of their team's objectives are on the bike and 50% of the riders' objectives in the team are off the bike. And so it wasn't about, you know, 
putting huge pressure on the riders to perform. Of course, the more successful this team is, the more exposure we get for the team and for the for our partners and for and for what we race for, being the Quebec charity. So it uh, it does make them dig deeper and it does make them push harder and it and it does give them a sense of belonging to a team that is that is uniquely different and and when they are successful. They, um, they do so much more for, for the Quebec charity. Last night, Niederberg, one of our partners, and Dimension Data were in, in Cognac doing an auction of Mark Cavendish's yellow jersey that went for 300,000 rand. And that would go to the, the, goes to the Quebec charity. So it just shows that this team, you know, is exceptional and, uh, and does such, such good for, for the Quebec charity that mobilizes, you know, students on bicycles in South Africa. Doug. Peter Sagan, who's who's in yellow at the moment, uh, had a had a pretty scathing attack on on the riders in the peloton, just the the way they're riding at the moment. You mentioned Edvald Bosenhagen's crash. There's, there've been a couple this weekend already. We're going to see more, unfortunately, in the tour as well. And he was just saying that there's a total disregard for for personal safety by many of the riders in the peloton. How, how are the the Dimension Data guys feeling? Uh, is there a sense of that in the peloton? Is it n- not as safe as it used to be? I mean, is that a, a real concern? Yeah, no, absolutely. It's far from safe. If you look at the, the craziness of the stages, everybody says, you know, that you could reduce the size of the peloton because, you know, that's what's causing the crashes. But it's actually ultimately it's not that. It's the fact that every single town and every 30 kilometers you go through a new town and a new village, they've built islands and roundabouts to stop traffic cruising through their towns too quickly. And now all the riders have to, they have to traverse all of these, all of this traffic furniture that comes and appears in front of them every, every time. And, and that's what's made it really, really difficult. And over and above that, you've got the, the GT contenders, so the Chris Brooms, the Quintanas, these guys and their team riding on the front to protect their riders, to keep them in front, while the sprinters' teams are trying to line up for the sprinters. And in the past, the, the, you know, the, the general classification riders would be sitting at the back of the peloton and not getting in the way of the sprinters. And, and that's changed completely. So now you've got extra teams trying to hog the front of a road that's only five meters wide with a bunch of 200 riders. It's become super dangerous, super technical. And uh, and that's why they they just so many crashes, which is which is sad because you know it's uh it's, there's only one road for 200 riders and it's hectic. Yeah, Doug, let's let's reassess. Uh, you you obviously said goals coming into this uh, into this tour and you've messed that up, uh, good and proper. What what what's still on the cards? What do you want to achieve now? I mean, you've set that bar so high, uh, the pressure's on. No, no, I was sitting with Serge Pals and Steve Cummings last night at dinner, and they were saying, "Geez, Doug." <laughs> What are we going to do next year? <laughs> Think about that after this year. But um, no, I mean we've achieved every single objective that we wanted to achieve in the Tour de France already, and so everything now over and above that is a bonus. But you know, a team that has got such momentum and is on such a high. I mean, the guys were so down today because through all the roundabouts and stuff, they lost Mark, and Mark was too far back, and they couldn't bring him forward in the sprint. And so he was super fast at the end, but he was you know dodging other riders that were exploding in the front of the climb onto the to the finish sprint and so Mark ended up eighth, which in the most part is incredible. Last year we celebrated tenth places and drank champagne because we were so happy we got top tens in the tour. Now, you know, an eighth place is like disappointed. I mean it's amazing what you know what what I guess winning stages of these kind of guys does to a team. But you know, going forward now the team is on such a high and such a roll that I'm pretty scared about what's possible still because everybody else feels that they can do something because they've all prepared so well. So it's quite exciting, and uh, we're going to be aggressive like we are normally. We don't have a rider to come to the high mountains, but we, you know, you'll see the team being incredibly visible and and trying to do as much as we can in the in the coming days and weeks. So 
super excited for, for the potential and what's possible still. It's quite funny. I've just realized I'm wearing my Bicycle Changes Lives t-shirt. Wasn't actually aware of it. I looked <laughs> down and I saw it, so uh, it must be a sign. Doug, best of luck for, for the rest of this yeah, weekend. No, it'll just... Yeah, those t-shirts just dive out of the closet and kind of dress you. <laughs> that must have been and what so happened. They should. <laughs> I'm going to be wearing it nonstop for the next three weeks. Doug, thank you so much uh, for your time once again. Please pass on our best to to the rest of the team. And, and yeah, we're sending okay. tons of tons of positive vibes all the way from the the southern tip of Africa. Thanks for your time, mate. Thank you so much, Brad. Appreciate it. You're listening to Sport on SAFM, the next best thing to being at the game. You're listening to South Africa's news and information leader, and it's time to chat some football now. And we're getting pretty close to the Rio Olympic Games. Just looking at my watch, the 5th of July today, so just over a month uh, to go to the start of the 2016 Rio Olympic Games. And uh, many of the sporting codes gearing up and getting ready, and that includes football. South, African, uh, South Africa's national ladies team jetting off uh, ahead of uh, a few international friendlies. We join now by the coach, Vera Power. Vera, welcome back on to SAFM Sports Show. Thanks for, for taking the time to chat. Hi, thank you for having me on your show again. Vera, another incredible friendly coming up. I know in the build-up to, to London 2012, we, we didn't have this caliber of, of football to, to get us prepared, but we, we're going to be playing the, arguably the best team in, in world football, the United States. Uh, you must be pretty excited that you, you get to, to test yourself against the best in the build-up to the games. Yeah, it is absolutely amazing and fantastic that the US play against and um, due also to the context of uh, Russell Powell, our fantastic administrator in the office, who has a lot of experience in contact all around the world, uh, we managed to set this date. And it's exactly on the point that we had planned to play the highest opposition in our campaign. So it's fantastic. It's really unbelievable. Vera, I know I don't want to say we're in a in a sort of planning stage for the Rio Games. This is the the sharpening of the the blade, if you like. What what are you hoping from the team this coming weekend? Um, as, as I've explained before, but I'll do it again. It, it's a build up from um, Cameroon as one of the top names of Africa, playing then uh, Botswana for AWC, then um, Zimbabwe, who is also going to the Olympics. And from there, a step up to the top step of the world, the Netherlands. We play twice there. And now, the uh, absolute biggest game um, that we've ever played at this moment. So, um, and then at the last, the last game will be New Zealand on the 28th of July, who gives the same kind of resistance on the ball. But, um, uh, let's say, in capacity-wise, the content of football there is just a little bit less than, uh, than USA. Um, and the reason why we wanted to have this opposition now is that we have to experience the, the absolute top of the world, the pressure that they give on our goal. Um, and to respond to that, we've been leading up the other games actually towards this game. Um, and it, it could go wrong. We could collapse and losing 8 to 10 nil. It could be because we are 52 on the FIFA ranking list and uh, USA is and the world champion and the Olympic champion at the moment. We will get it that way and um, to be able under the pressure to play ourselves. But even if we don't manage, even if it would be a big disappointment with big pivots, then we better have that now than in the first game of the Olympics. And you can only be ready uh, for the Olympics by experiencing this level. So um, we're, we're looking forward to it. And... Um, 
if you have the fear to fail, then you will And we have no fear for any opponent. We'll see what happens. We do up We structure ready for it, and uh, we go for it. Vera, there is a big risk, as you mentioned, that we, we could concede a, a few goals, and from a confidence perspective, we could take a, a huge knock. How, how are you preparing the, the team for that eventuality, if um, it does happen? No, not at all. Not at all. That's a misconception of many coaches. Um, if you are just before the tournament, it's just a for that level of, uh, of, of, of resistance. And the thing of confidence, Confidence is key word experience. You can only be confident if you know what you're capable of and what you're not capable of. So the moment that we know that we're not capable of um, a certain level of play or a certain way of stopping opponent, it gives us actually confidence to do it in another way. And um, the fact that a big defeat is not breaking your confidence at all. It's only giving you information. And if we can stand USA with this strategy that we've set up now, it will give confidence to keep on going with this strategy. Um, if we do get a big defeat, it will give us confidence to absolutely be absolutely sure to do it in a different way. So um, there's no danger in that, not at all. At least not in my opinion and not in my philosophy's place. Um, we have no fear. It, it, it also helps having the team together for a prolonged period of time heading into the games? Uh, yes, we have had the team uh, together. Of course, we had a break of um, a month in April. It was unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, and that is why we're now a bit catching up with things. Uh, it's smooth as we wanted to because we um, have little amount of training sessions left for all the technical things that we have to go through. The players have adapted very, very well. And um, by the time the Olympics start, we will be, we will be ready. Vera, looking ahead to the Olympics, you, you were quoted in the media today uh, talking about some of the, the issues that you've had uh, around the Olympics with regards to accreditation and accommodation that uh, a few of your technical yeah. staff and players uh, haven't been accommodated and haven't been given accreditation. Have those issues been sorted out? Um, well, it's not sorted out, of course. Um, we knew it already for half a year, but it is very unfortunate because all the other teams of the Olympic tournament, apart from the men and women of South Africa, have all their players and all their 12 staff members in the Olympic village. And you can imagine that uh, not having them all into the village gives a lot of hack up with team meetings, with everything, and, and being together the key factor of the team building process. I can imagine if the you don't have enough accreditations that not all the staff members can be there. Having all the players there, that is something um, that is really difficult to, to cope with. Um, but the key issue was that we've been going back and forth about um, booking accommodation. And luckily, yesterday, we have decided to book it as if we're tourists. So we should book our own hotel to be done by the NOC, and that has been told to us by IOC and FIFA. So um, we've now booked our com, and um, the end is that we even not have all those staff members and players together in one hotel because it's far too late and um, all the hotels were full. So that is what I was mentioning today and 
very unfortunate um, and it's not been very helpful. Vera, just to, to wrap, who's to blame? Who dropped the ball? Is it is it Saskok? Is it South African football? I'm, I'm not sure where. It's it's not South African football. It's not Safa because all the budgets were go already months ago. Um, it's been FIFA that the NSC needs to book it. IFC telling us that the NSC must book it. The NSC saying it is not our problem, it's your problem because we don't accredit you. So uh, it says you have to book it yourself. And all the others said we cannot book. So we tried to book it through the channels of uh, IOC and FIFA, and we just couldn't because the NOC had to book it. So we couldn't wait longer because I said we will end up having our players on the bridge. So that is why we we picked up the glove yesterday, we said, and, and um, we just book it ourselves. Frustrating indeed. Uh, Vera Power, I hate to hear stories like that, but best of luck. Safe travels to you and the rest of the team heading to North America, taking on the U.S. in Chicago this weekend. We'll be sending tons of positive vibes, and, and good luck in the build-up to Rio, and we look forward to chatting before and during. Thank you so much, and we've had so many hiccups already in, in, uh, in the past years. So um, this team is so strong, they can handle it. But it is it is for unfortunate, but um, we will handle every every problem that we face. SAFM Sports Wrap. Well, there's been lots of talk about the Olympics, and we'll hear more from Saskox here in just a moment. But I can tell you in some breaking news that uh, former FIFA Secretary General Jerome Falk has had his ban from all football-related activities reduced from 12 to 10 years uh, on appeal. Talking of the Olympics, Saskox uh, President Gideon Sam has warned South Africans to not get ahead of themselves and expect too much from our Olympic team. Team South Africa returned from the London Games with uh, only six medals, and Sam's says it's important to manage the expectations before the team leaves for Rio. But you know, you want to be realistic. You either rather, rather under-promise and over-perform, uh, rather than say, no, we're going to have 20 medals and then you get seven. You know, that's not good enough. So I think uh, where we are now, we, we, we are very comfortable that uh, anything can happen over and above 10, but we will stick to our 10. Well, the team has not been finalised yet. The last day of Olympic qualifying is the 11th of June. The team will be announced three days later. Saskok has already named a 24-man provisional squad, which includes potential medalists Lusapo April, Cameron Funneberg and Chad Leclerc. Sam does, however, feel that uh, the systems that were put in place following the London Games will reap rewards. Uh, there are people who are very positive about the outcome of our of our performance, people who feel that, look, it's, uh, we are on a better wicket this time around. We have had enough time to prepare because you will recall that when we came back from, um, from London, we immediately announced Operation Excellence that we are continuing and that uh, we will do whatever we can uh, to make things happen. So, yes, there is a lot of positive uh, uh, vibes in terms of uh, our, our performances, but I think uh, people must also understand that it is it is always difficult because each country will do the same thing that we're doing. And that's about a wrap for SAFM Sports Wrap this evening. We are back again tomorrow. Don't forget we'll have more sport for you tomorrow morning on AM Live with Janet Witten. I'll be back on PM Live tomorrow afternoon. Have yourself a superb evening. On the other side of your news, it is time for the talk shop with Naledi Malaya from myself, Brad Brown, and my producer, Siobhan Tetti. Have yourself a great evening. It's 7 o'clock.